Hello, everyone, and welcome to Me, You, Us, a well-being podcast. It's another Well-Being Wednesday here at Consumers Energy, and I'm your host, Bill Krieger. Today, my guest is Joshua DeFore. He is a former Marine and a military veteran filmmaker. So, Joshua, if you'd introduce yourself, we'll get the conversation started. Yeah, I was in the Marine Corps from uh, December 2010 to March 2015, and I was a combat videographer while I was in. I had the uh, wonderful experience of being able to tell the story of other service members, which included, you know, Marines, obviously, but soldiers and airmen and sailors. So I got to to really experience the other services. But my job was essentially to, you know, go wherever service members were either in exercises or humanitarian relief projects, and then eventually a year in Afghanistan. But it was always really cool to be able to experience everyone's job and kind of give, not meaning, but by showing what they're doing and putting it out to civilian news outlets, it felt like they their efforts were a little bit more appreciated because they were being seen. And then, uh, I mean, I think the last part of it is just um, I would get, you know, an email every now and then from a parent or a friend who had seen, you know, their their son, brother, sister, whatever, on one of the stories. And they actually, for the first time, got to see what it is that their service member did. So that was always interesting. So it's got to be gratifying to get that kind of feedback, because I, I know many times as a soldier myself, uh, you feel a bit unappreciated uh, as you're going about your business, whether it's in a combat zone or if, if it's back home. Uh, yeah. So it's nice that that recognition happened. So I got to ask, though, uh, I spent some time in the Navy and I spent some time in the Army where I retired. Uh, what drew you to the Marine Corps? Yeah, so I do not come from a military family. I'm the first for many generations. And for me, I was just not a good standing citizen. You know, I, I paid my taxes and that was about it. And I really needed to change. It was 2008 when the economy collapsed. And, you know, I was going to school on a full ride for journalism, but I immediately lost the full ride because of stupidity. And I knew that I wanted to change who I was, but I also could not transition to film, which was what I really wanted to do. I didn't have money to transfer schools. My grades were shot. And I, you know, I didn't know what to do. And there was this option, this like hidden little loophole where the military had a videographer job. Military would teach you how to shoot and edit and do all the things that a film school would do for free. And the best part of it was you would also get a GI Bill after the whole thing. And so I saw that as like the best case scenario. So I knew I wanted to join the military. I originally contacted the Navy and they never called me back. So I called the Marines, and uh, as the Marines are wont to do, they immediately got back to me. For me, the Marine Corps was a challenge. I'm scrawny, or I was a little scrawnier, and I'm, you know, I was raised by a single mom. I'm more effeminate, so the idea of becoming a Marine just—it was this really fun dichotomy where I could be an artist, I could do those things, and also, you know, join the most badass service that no one thought I could join the whole time that I was working up to go to boot camp. There were a lot of naysayers and such, and that just made me want to become a Marine more. I knew that it was, you know, an iconic symbol. I know that that the the name and the term of, of what being a Marine stands for 
would also translate well once I left the Marines and tried to get a job or tried to go to school. Nothing against the other services, but civilians really love their Marines. And so I, I knew that that was another reason. But but uh, there were there were a lot of reasons. I was obviously terrified. But if I was going to join the military, I saw it as like, if I'm going to do this, I've got to do this all the way. Right. And that's a lifestyle change if there ever was one. So that's what drew me to the Marines. And I can see that. And it's it's interesting because I've, you know, over my career talked to a lot of people in the service and, you know, everyone has a different reason for joining just like yours for joining the Marines is probably different from a lot of other people. But when you talk to people who join the Marines, there's this uh, 10,000 foot view of why they joined the Marines. But then there's this other part that's like, this is the greatest challenge. Like if I'm going to do this, this is how I'm going to do it. Cause, cause this is the toughest way to do it. And that's kind of what I, I heard there as well. So you join the Marine Corps, you do some great work there. You kind of start honing your skills as a videographer, as a filmmaker, uh, and then you get out. So what happens when you leave the Marine Corps? When I got in, when I was starting you know, in the enlistment, I originally thought film school, what I imagined it would be, you know, shooting and, and being on set and all of that. You know, I had this like idealistic view of it, but that view was for grad school, not undergrad. So I was in a situation where I had like some credits now from school previous. And then obviously the, we're not obviously, but the, but the job field that we were in, in the Marine Corps gives you college credits for your, your school. So I had to hustle up and finished my undergrad degree before I got out. I didn't want there to be any lapse of time. So I actually finished my undergrad while I was in the Marine Corps. And then I left and I had, I had applied to the University of Texas while I was still a Marine. And it all worked out, but it could have not worked out. But yeah, I left, I left uh, the Marines in March and school was starting up in August. And I got a job at Fathead LLC there. They make these sports decals and other things like that. And I was uh, in this situation where they had a budget and I hadn't really worked with that much exposure where they had an audience on social media and they had brand licenses with sports figures. So I ended up working with Warner Brothers for a Harry Potter spot. And that was incredible. It was the first time I was like interacting with an actual studio. Those were things that really gave, gave me like a really great opportunity to hit the ground running before I got to film school. Well, it's an interesting way to get there. And, you know, a lot of people don't realize that while you're in the service, you can work on your degree. It takes yeah. a certain amount of, of uh, motivation to get there, but it can be done. So you you get everything all set. You have this great experience kind of in between the, the Marine Corps and getting to film school. You end up at the University of Texas. You're working on your uh, your graduate degree in film. And I know that when we talked before, you had talked about you had to make like four films for grad school. What was that like for you? Extremely rewarding, extremely stressful. Um, and I grew by leaps and bounds. I guess I knew when I got out of the Marines that there were some things about me that were kind of sketch that weren't there before. Just, you know, some weird things that would happen if I got stressed. And I was managing it fine until grad school. And that's where it wasn't just the pressure of school. It was the pressure of my own expectations because I had sacrificed so much to get to that school. It felt like it did feel life or death for me to be at that school and make these films, I had given up so much. So every project was its own small business in a way. And there are a lot of moving parts. 
And as I got through the first two films, I was all right. And that was through 2016. And it wasn't until the second or the, the third film, sorry, in 2017, that things started to creep up where the projects had gotten bigger and the stress and everything was coming out. At the same time, as, a, as an artist and a filmmaker and the skill sets, I mean, I was where I was two years into film school versus where I was before was just amazing. There was growth and I think it was a lot, a lot to do with all of the people that I was surrounded with, you know, amazing talent of other students. But yeah, so going into that fourth, that fourth film, uh, The 11th Order, I had definitely had to grow up a lot and take care of my mental health because uh, otherwise I wouldn't have made it through. There were definite times when I thought about giving up, but I had, I had, you know, sacrificed so much I couldn't uh, couldn't quit. And my girlfriend wouldn't let me, which also helps. So I hear you say things kind of crept up on you. Uh, you were starting to experience some things maybe that you hadn't experienced before. And when I hear you talk about that, it kind of brings me back to when I first started experiencing, like, for me, it was panic attacks, you know, flashbacks, the whole PTSD uh, kind of realm when you have a checklist of what does PTSD look like. I think I checked most of those boxes. Is that kind of where you were at between the third and fourth film? Yeah, it was troubling because it was almost like once the dam broke, the entire river just blew open. The Yeah, because it was I was I was like fine in terms of functioning and perfectly like no one knew any of these things were happening except the people closest to me. And for the most part, I was in somewhat control, or at least I told myself that it wasn't until later that people would kind of open up about like having to deal with that person. But it, once it broke, which was probably at the beginning of 2017, I I was just in not a good place. And it I had to I, I was literally like my girlfriend was like, either you go to the VA and you take care of this or we can't work. Because it was it was getting to be a, the point where I was just so mercurial that she couldn't, no one could really tr not trust but like depend on me. I would have panic attacks. I would get angry out of nowhere, and then I would be extremely depressed for long periods of time. And a lot of the time, these things would seem to jump in and out for no reason. But then you know, stress would make it even worse. And then through all that, I was also having to do with. For some reason, I didn't want to be in big crowds. There were these other little things, pop sounds would, you know, so, so I've got the emotional stuff. And then there were these other little quirks where I had never had issues with these things before. I was suddenly extremely in, in like reclusive and I didn't, I was, I used to be a very social person and I just, it just felt like there was a huge, significant part of my shine, if you want to say, that was dulled. And I'm still working to get that back. But it was it was a significant loss that I, I didn't realize until I started therapy. So you went to the VA, it sounds like, and you got into therapy. And it sounds like that's been helping you out uh, along the way. In the, in the midst of all this, you've got a thesis film to write, which is one of the things I really wanted to talk with you about. It's a film called The 11th Order. I've watched it a couple of times now. And like I said before, when you and I were just talking um, outside of the, the podcast, it's, it's an amazing film in that it's very real. You can tell it's from a veteran's perspective, in all honesty, uh, because there's things at the level that people who've never been in the military will get, 
but there's some deeper things in there that I think only military people will understand. So I really wanted to dig into, tell me about this film and why did you make it? In addition to all the things that were going on, there was this feeling that I, not shame, but I, I had gotten out of the Marines and had some experiences that I just kind of wanted to put away into a, into a tre- or to, into a chest and just lock it away and put it somewhere. And so I came to film school. Granted, this is in Austin, Texas. It's a very uh, liberal city. There's nothing wrong with that. It's just that being a veteran, I felt this was no one did this, but I felt paranoid, <laughs> like I shouldn't tell anyone. And people knew ish. So. I didn't make any films that were military related, and I had no intention of doing that. I wanted to leave that life behind. In writing The Eleventh Order and having to meet all of these other veterans and speak to them and get the story on these two young men, I realized in fighting that off and not doing military films, I didn't give myself any catharsis or any sort of release. So I was harming myself in that process. But so this speech that the film's based off of landed in my inbox, my my roommate, who's a veteran, sent me a message that said, this is your next film. And there was a PDF attached and I read it and I was blown away. I mean, it was it it impacted me just reading it. I could see the film in my head. It was just the, the words and how how contextualized it was. It was visceral, yet also beautiful. It was this very strange and amalgamation and when you knew who gave the speech it was even stranger because i don't think of john kelly as being a very poetic emotional person and yet that's what this was this eulogy of sorts about these two young u.s marines and back in ramadi in 2008 who were standing guard they had just met each other for about 10 minutes one of them corporal jonathan yale had already been in country for about six months and then the other Marine, uh, 19 years old, Jordan Harder, when it's called Jordan Harder, had just gotten there about two days prior. And they're standing gate duty. And, you know, 10 minutes later, a truck barrels down the serpentine and it, uh, it's a suicide truck bomber. And from the moment that it enters the serpentine to the moment that it gets to that gate, there's about six seconds. And that's the, what the speech is called that John Kelly gave six seconds to live. And he breaks down those six seconds. And that's really the part that just, I mean, you, you get goosebumps and your hair raises up when you're reading that. But yeah, the truck the truck got to the gate. They had been firing the whole time and they killed the driver. But it had a, a dead man switch and the truck exploded and uh, it killed both of them. But it saved 150 people behind them. And that's really the part of the story that it, it was the gate and the idea of what they were talking about before the truck that really kind of. I was just so interested in exploring that, like what do people talk about before this event? And war itself is mostly boring, except it's punctuated by these moments of violence. Um, So that interested me. But it was also this idea of standing in front of death, certain dangers, just any kind of decision where it's fight or flight and they didn't flinch. And that also really blew me away because it, it, I was like, who does that? And what what it goes through your mind to do that? And it embodied being a Marine, you know, honor and courage and commitment. So there were just a lot of really powerful themes that made it more than just a war film, made it more than just a military film. Because if it didn't have those things, I would have no interest in it. Um, mind you, at that time, the film I had just made was about $7,000. 
reading this speech, it takes place in Iraq, you know, truck explodes, all these things, like the numbers are just going through my head. And so I was like, I'm not making this, but it's a good story. And weeks would go by. And there was a point at which I had to ask myself, like, why is this still in my head? And there was like the sense of responsibility after reading it because no one had made a film about it. And that just, I was like, how is that possible? And it occurred to me like, hey, you know, you could make it with decent support and you'd have to, you know, increase your skills by whatever magnitude, but you could do it. And that's kind of where it led to was just like, someone should do this. And if it's going to be made, it might as well be made by a veteran because I know I'll make it to the best of my ability and it'll have those little nuances. And uh, that's what led me to eventually calling the mothers. When we talk about the speech, just for the audience so that they understand, this was a speech that General Kelly gave to uh, Gold Star families, if I'm not mistaken, uh, where he talks about the death of his own son who had stepped on a landmine while in country. A few days prior to that speech, which is honestly incredible. Incredible he could get up and, and, and talk and give that speech. And, you know, just talking about when you said it gives you goosebumps or raises the hairs on the back of your neck. Just as we were talking about it, I was kind of thinking back to the film and and it had that exact effect on me because when you talk about being in combat and being at war, you're absolutely right. It's like hours and hours of boredom punctuated by moments of sheer terror. And there's no better way to say it, but in the film, you captured it so eloquently that this is what happens. You're with these young men and women in combat and you guys are one minute you're talking about stuff going on at home or you're busting each other's chops or you got that inside joke. And the next minute you're fighting to save the life of the person next to you. And it goes from zero to a hundred back to zero that quickly. And when you talk about six seconds to live, I mean, it's true. And you don't know when it's going to be that time. Right. Exactly. And that was, That was, I mean, that's what makes it special is that, I mean, if you even think about the fact that Jonathan Yale, he was going to go home like three days later, you know, and for Jordan, he had gotten in the country and maybe gotten acclimated a few days. He volunteered to be at that gate. And then when you explore who they are as people, I mean, Jonathan Yale was a male cheerleader, loved extreme sports played the PSP all over the the barracks. And then Jordan was, uh, by all accounts, extremely intelligent, could have gone to college, was expected to go to college, had a pilot's license. He lived in Sag Harbor, which is right by the Hamptons. And he just decided he would join the Marines. Like both of these, both what made it so interesting was both of these guys were not stereotypical Marines. And so, especially in the case of Yale, who had been, I guess, kind of made fun of and bullied a little bit. Um, you know, this this idea that these dudes saved the lives of everyone else that acted hard and such, and they were the the probably the Marines least expected to do so. And I think that speaks to what a Marine truly embodies. You know, it doesn't matter about your personality or whatever else. You took the oath and, you know, you were trained and there is an honor and courage commitment element. So you know, I, I really do think that's what made it special. And, you know, to to quote from, I think, World War II, what you're really talking about is ordinary people doing extraordinary things. 
right? We wouldn't expect that, but that's exactly what they were trained to do. And that's exactly what they did was rely on their training. So I, you know, you have to ask where can people see this film? If they want to check this out, where would be a good place for them to see it? Yeah, the easiest place to find it is just going on YouTube and searching for The 11th Order. If you search on Google, The 11th Order, we've got a few news stories out there, but it's on YouTube for free. Um, We're sitting at about a million views, so you should find it the first thing that pops up. And it's, like I said, it's 25 minutes long, so it is a little bit of a a commitment there, but I, I promise you, you will not be disappointed. So at least I don't think so. But yeah, it's available to watch uh, very easily. It's also on Facebook. And I can vouch for that. I watched it, like I said, I've watched it a couple of times. It's a well-spent 25 minutes. Uh, I, I don't know how else to say it. And so if you are a veteran, it's a great watch. If you wanna know about veterans or you wanna kind of get insight into the military mind, it's a great way to spend 25 minutes. If you just wanna know something about the kids who are out there fighting these wars for us, uh, it's a great 25 minutes. There's lots of reasons to watch it. So Joshua, is there anything else on the horizon uh, that we should be looking out for? Yeah, um, so after the million views on YouTube, which we were not expecting, there were all these comments about people asking for us to do a story on this person, a story on that person. And you know these projects are extremely expensive and they take years to complete, but we kind of, had been thinking last year about doing a docu-series, like a short series uh, where we would explore those other uh, veterans and service members. So that's kind of what we're working on right now. It's called American Made, and we're trying to feature veterans in the communities that are doing things um, for to better their communities or, you know, service members who have done amazing things. So it, it's a little broad at the moment, but we're thinking about six episodes and we're currently in the process of pre-production. There's that. And then on the other side of it, what I was already working on is my next short film, uh, Living with a Demon, which is a dark comedy about uh, struggling with bipolar disorder. So those are my two projects currently going on and uh, I'm excited. Well, looking forward to that. We'll have to have you back on as these projects come out so we can uh, so we can talk about it a little bit more. I really do appreciate you taking out the time to come and talk with us and really to be uh, transparent and honest about uh, where you came from and how you got here. Before we go, though, is there anything that you would like to leave the audience with? You know, if you do watch the film, I think one thing to consider is just what would you do? You know, it's it's asking yourself how you would react. And it doesn't just apply to that moment. I think we all have six seconds to make decisions and choices that are extremely difficult. It's not always easy to do the right thing. Granted, we're not all in a situation where we're staring down at a truck. But in your communities and for all the people that are the, you know, un- heralded community members who do all these great things think about those people and think about yourself about doing you know the right thing when you have those six seconds to consider it because it's a long time if you really count it out and i think that if they inspired me to do anything it's it's really thinking about taking those six seconds and considering the uh, all the things you can do to help to help people in a moment so that's what i would prefer the audience to think about and I, I would agree. So the speech is Six Seconds to Live by General Kelly. The film is The 11th Order by Joshua DeFort. Go out to YouTube and check that out. 
And again, Joshua, thanks for spending time with us today. Thank you. And thank you to the audience for tuning in today. Remember, you can subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcasting platform. And be sure to take a few minutes and fill out our survey to let us know how we're doing. That can be found at http colon slash slash b-i-t dot l-y slash m-e dash y-o-u dash u-s. And remember to tune in every Wednesday when we talk about the things that impact your personal well-being.